0: com slash lawless terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed
1: why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them with royal caribbean you don't just go to the beach you visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in north america you don't just go for a road trip you atv and zipline through the jungle you don't just go somewhere new you repel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas.
2: Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This episode, we'll be talking the U.S. men's national team, Wrexham, GEO, Weston, Club World Cup, the Sinner, Copa America, and so much more. But first joining me, as always, my friend, My colleague, my guiding light, David Mossey, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you doing on this Monday, January 30th of the year 2023?
3: I am doing well. Five years ago, around this time, you and I did our first podcast together. It was the week of the Eagles Patriots Super Bowl. Here we are five years later, the Philadelphia Eagles back in the Super Bowl. They will face the Kansas City Chiefs on Fox
2: on fox uh big super bowl coming up i can't believe it's been five years my friend it just goes by like that but we've had a wonderful time and we thank everybody for uh joining us if you've just joined us great if you've been around for five years that's uh that's even better now the uh the football i watched the football this uh this sunday uh both of the games uh and i come to see you know in the uh in the twitter sphere and the uh, social media thing where uh, everything evidently is decided um that the uh, the refereeing in the NFL is, is not up to snuff. Is that true? Is that the, the right type of uh, outrage and narrative to have right now?
3: You know, I rode the elevator with a security person, and we struck up a conversation about the Chiefs-Bengals AFC title game, and he felt like the Bengals got absolutely hosed several calls he disagreed with throughout the game, although he did say the late hit at the end of Mahomes was the correct call.
2: It's absolutely the correct call. All right, All right. You know, I watched that, and I don't know a whole lot about football, but even I know that you're not supposed to do that, and, you know, I— Part of me feels bad for the guy. I mean, he was crying after the game and, you know, his, his teammate have to, had to run the press conference for him. And, Dean, what was appropriate and not appropriate in terms of a question? Come on, man. This is football. You made a mistake. You're a professional. You make millions and millions of dollars playing a stupid game. Stand up,
3: you know, and say, yeah,
2: I made a mistake. And go golf. Um, did you watch anything?
3: This was the weekend when I finally went down the Wrexham rabbit hole. Ooh, okay. The brouhaha on Twitter. It got you. It got you. Hook, line, and sinker, my friend. Finally compelled me to binge the documentary series, Welcome to Wrexham. I watched all 18 episodes, and I watched their match on Sunday. We're going to talk about that yes. later on in the podcast.
2: And, and, and Wrexham in general. Yeah. I have not watched it yet. What's it on, by the way? Hulu? Hulu
3: Plus? Is that what, uh, is it on? I think. I, I uh what did you watch? Yes, now? Hulu. I, I I actually purchased it on Amazon Prime. Oh, really? Yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm not doing that. Uh, uh if I and I don't have Hulu. I, I there's only so many that I can have. Um so I don't have that yet. I have not watched it yet. Um, but I, you know, I, I will watch it because of the the soccer connection and stuff like that. But I do have thoughts on Wrexham even without having uh, having watched it. So, all right, so we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. I have though, uh, been watching and uh, it's a series that came out, oh, I don't know, uh, a few years ago called The Sinner. And um, what, what year did it come out? Let's see here. Uh, let's see here, uh, da, 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 da. yeah, back in 2017 to 21, anyway, it's four seasons, and it stars uh, the great Bill Pullman, Jessica Biel appeals in one, uh, appears in one, it's four different seasons, and each season is completely different, although it features the same uh, detective, and uh, it's pretty good, it's pretty good, I uh, I never heard of it, and I just kind of clicked on it, and thankfully it was started and finished, and so uh, I recommend it uh, highly, it's really uh, an interesting look at to this you know, it's nothing new in terms of a, a detective who has, you know, scars and a you know, emotional scars uh, and physical scars, for that matter, uh, solving cases. And you you care as much about him and his problems and flaws as you do about the actual uh, case. But very well done. So that's the, that's the one that I uh, recommend. I give that a, uh, a thumbs up. All right. shall we uh, light this candle? Let's do it. All right, well, let's start with the second of the two games that the U.S. men's national team played in this January camp. You know, uh, affectionately, I guess it's affectionately, often called uh, Camp Cupcake. It is, as we know, an opportunity to see new, less experienced, oftentimes young talent when it comes to the US. That it's happening in a moment of flux and craziness uh, doesn't help it. It's always kind of looked down on to a certain extent. I don't know how much we gleaned after these two uh, these two games, and certainly the game against Colombia, by the way, in a sold out Dignity Health. Although there was you know ninety percent, our friend Stu Holden was at the game, and, I, and uh, uh, producer Sean was at the game. Uh, and thanks thanks for Sean for you know sporting the colors the USA because they were vastly outnumbered by the uh, Colombians. A lot of yellow, but the US do, does get a a point in that. What has to be said is a you know adversarial type of position um and environment there. So I guess. Congratulations, although that second game against uh, Colombia, we already talked about the uh, the first game of that, second game against Colombia. First half was okay, and then it just kind of petered out into a blah type of experience for, uh, probably if, if you're at the stadium and certainly when you're watching at home.
3: I found the starting lineup quite boring. Ooh. When you have Sean Johnson in goal, Walker Zimmerman and Aaron Long at the back, Kellen Acosta in the midfield, Paul Arreola and Jesus Ferreira in the attack, for a January-friendly that's a lot of I know what you are, I don't care what you do in this game, guys. There were a few youngsters sprinkled in the fullbacks, Jones, Tolkien, you had Matthew Hoppy up there, mm-hmm. and then they brought on some guys in the second half I was interested in, like Vasquez and Jalen Neal. But you know what I mean? At yep. the start of the game, you look at that lineup and you say, boy, th- this isn't really what these January friendlies are supposed to be about.
2: Well, if the January friendlies are indeed about identifying and cultivating that next group, that you think is going to help you from a national perspective uh, uh, with, with the national team? then yes, absolutely, to your point. I'm not learning anything about Sean Johnson or Aaron Long or Walker Zimmerman, and you know, the list goes on. I am learning things about others. But here's, here, here's the question, Mossy. And this is what I, I started thinking about this weekend, is, what do I want the national team? to represent? What do I want that moment to represent? We are at a time that is completely different than when I was coming up, okay? We have opportunities and pathways and platforms from which we can assess players, the likes of which we never saw when I was growing up. And so there's there's a part of me that thinks about and watched this, this game and these, this, these games and almost... And I guess it's just a part of me, but a part of me feels like the national team experience and the privilege and the honor and the responsibility of representing what I feel is the greatest country in the world has has been kind of diluted and cheapened. And so when I see players that have yet to even do anything on the field when it comes to a club level, or very little on the field when it comes to a club level, being put in these incredible moments of opportunity, I don't know, there's something, there's something about it. But I do recognize how you need to be, if you're a national team program, looking towards the future. I just think that, you know, it's Oprah, you get a cap and you get a cap and you get a cap and you get a cap. And that, that, that rubs me the wrong way.
3: Hercules Gomez had a tweet. He said it's become far too easy to get a U.S. national team call up. So you agree with that sentiment? I do. uh,
2: I do agree to it. But I also there's the other part of me that recognizes that until they get on the field with the national team, you don't know what they are. And again, what you are as a club player can be very, very different and form his fallacy and all that kind of stuff so until you until you actually put them on the field you you don't know and I guess this is that perfect opportunity to do it which goes back to what we started talking about where why do I need to see players that I already know what they are Sean Johnson is going to be you know he's what he's uh he's 33 years old right now so he's going to be 36 37 years old ultimately now for a goalkeeper that's fine but he's going to play the role of you know Tony Tony Miola in twenty uh, in 2002. Uh, for just a guy that's not going to cause problems, got great experience, has a a voice and a leadership role, but is not going to ultimately play going forward. You know, Slonina, if he is ultimately the future of the national team goalkeeping position, then get him as much time on the field as possible. then there's that other part of me that says, well, Sean Johnson is a member of the national team. And don't just give it out like candy when it comes to a national team cap.
3: I mentioned Matthew Hoppe. I'm not sure how interested I am in him either. Uh, it might be that he's better on the wing than as a center forward, but there's a much greater need at center forward. On the wing, there are so many players that I consider to be better than him that I can't imagine him ever becoming a big factor there. Do you agree that when you see Hoppy on the wing, it, it kind of seems like what's the point?
2: If Matthew Hoppy was playing in MLS, he would not be called into the national team. Okay, and again, this is this is not. This is not right or wrong. It's just the reality of the situation. And your cachet is increased and your reputation is enhanced by where you play. And so, Matthew Hoppe is not good enough. Okay? I, I'm not saying he's not a good player and I'm not saying he didn't have, you know, some some great moments in the past. But I just don't see him as being good enough, yet he's still 21 years old, for the... For the U.S. men's national team going forward, and to your point, maybe it's a positional type of thing. You know, so again, we we, we go through this. I think Salina did did well and showed that he deserves to continue to be an option going forward into these camps. You know, Gressel showed that he's a really good crosser of the ball, and you want that. We have plenty of wide players, maybe none that can do it from that deep lying position that he can. So that's a good thing for him. Whatever you think about Walker's, remember, it didn't, didn't change after this camp. Whatever you think about Aaron Long, it didn't change with the, this camp. You know, the Jalen Neal thing, 19 years old, never actually played a single game for the Galaxy first team, and now he's a U.S. international. I, I'm not saying that he's not potentially going to be a very good player, but again, you've just given him something. That Has he earned it? And I know he's played for youth national teams and, and all that, but where... We we now have that ability to have a player play on a consistent basis that we can assess them in with, with Major League Soccer and with USL and with all the different th- uh, leagues that we have right now. So we don't need to be just taking a flyer on a player. So And, and that's nothing against Jalen Neal. If I, if I got the call, I would be happy and I would take it too. And now his image is enhanced. And maybe he goes on to to star for the Galaxy going forward. But it's just a little it's just a little weird. Uh, Paxton Erickson, we talked about Paxton Palm uh McCall, not, not quite good enough. I didn't think that Eric Williamson really shone in the way that he can. And again, that injury really really screwed him up, not saying he can't be the player that I think a lot of people feel he can be, but this wasn't and by the way, nobody really shown in, in that game. I think you know, Brandon Vasquez comes out of this camp showing that he is absolutely one, and to your point again, that position of need. It's going to lend itself to saying, hey, you come in, you scored a goal, you're dangerous, you're getting shots on net, you provide an aerial presence and a, a you know a real danger up top that the U.S. just hasn't had. You know, when we see Jesus Ferreira running around, really, Ferreira hasn't recaptured that moment of uh, awesomeness, if you will, that he had. And... You know that's a problem for him, and obviously a problem for the national team if they don't have somebody coming coming along. And that's why Brandon Vasquez uh, really I think shines and comes out of this camp, as does K. Cal. Uh,
3: Luke Wildman, in discussing these series history, he mentioned that the most famous encounter between the two countries came back at the nineteen ninety four World Cup. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering, whenever you see the U.S. and Colombia on a field together, does your mind always hearken back does. to that day?
2: It does. And we have a long history with Colombia. And actually, even leading up to the World Cup in 94, I think I mentioned this before, we played every one of our group opponents in the lead up to the World Cup. And and Colombia multiple times oh, played them, uh, both in tournament settings and in just one-off, uh, one-off friendly. So we knew exactly what we were coming up against. So there's, there's a wonderful history. And obviously, you know, the Colombian, uh, you know, expats and and, and uh, uh fans there you know they came out in force
3: had to be difficult for melissa ortiz she's there ostensibly covering the u.s national team but she was clearly rooting for columbia
2: uh i think she was okay she yeah. uh, i think she, she was a, she's a pro so she worked through it and everything was fine by the way uh in this day and age where we love to you know scream and yell about nepotism and connections and old boys and old girls network and you know there's Demarcus Beasley and there's Julie Fowdy and there's Kyle Martino and there's even Melissa, Melissa Ortiz and all that kind of stuff. I only point it out because I think it's so ridiculous and absurd in and of itself. But you know, if we're gonna if we're gonna do it, let's do it.
3: <laughs> On the topic of the US facing South American opposition, some big news. This has been talked about as a possibility for a long time. It's now official. The 2024 Copa America will be in the United States. It'll be a 16-team tournament featuring 10 Conmebol sides and six from CONCACAF, similar to the Copa America Centenario in 2016, which we covered. A lot of US fans were hoping for this and now it's going to happen. Uh, Very exciting, huh?
2: Oh, this is great. Uh, yeah, I mean, people were talking about this and it just makes, it makes sense on the field from a competitive perspective and off the field from a uh, money perspective, it'll make, uh, it'll make a lot of money and it'll give the United States a wonderful tournament with some very different and much better competition than they they get oftentimes when they play uh, against CONCACAF teams. And, you know, keep in mind in 1993, the U.S. Part- participated in Copa America. In 1995, the U.S. participated in Copa America. In 2016, the Copa America Centenario, which we broadcast and we which was incredible, made a tremendous amount of money. The U.S. finished in fourth place uh, in, that, uh, in that tournament. That was great in terms of the development and the experience for those players. So this, I, I fail to see where uh, any type of downside when it comes to something like this.
3: Uh, two things I will say. I'm very glad it sounds like this will be the Copa America for this cycle. Commonwealth isn't going to use this as a contrived excuse to <laughs> jam another Copa America down our throats. Well,
2: yeah, you say that now. You
3: never know. Secondly, it makes perfect sense in this cycle for this tournament to take place in the United States because that's where the World Cup is, so everybody wants to prepare for that. Yep. But in future cycles, if the US takes, place, t- takes uh, part in the Copa America, I don't think it should always have to be in the United States. I get the financial value of that, but you played in a Copa America in Uruguay in 95. That was a great experience. I think yep. the US could really benefit from taking part in Copa Americas in South America.
2: Uh- yeah. So we did, uh, Uruguay in 95 and, uh, Ecuador in 93. And so, yeah, it was, it it, it was a great experience. And so I, I, I absolutely agree. And I, I get from a financial perspective why it's good. And in this particular case, because of the '26 world cup teams want to be here and they want to get the lay of the land. They want to have an understanding of what it is if they don't already. So, and, and, and keep in mind that, um, you know, Confederations Cup has gone, gone away. So the ability for us, even with our existing infrastructure to host a tournament, to, you know, get some things right. Uh, and especially for cities and markets that are hosting in 2026, I think that that's, uh, I think it's huge. So well done. And thank you, I guess, to CONCACAF and Comitable for coming together. That's not, that's not always easy. And this announcement wasn't just about Copa America. There was all sorts of other things, right, Mossy, that uh, are part of what the, the cooperation and what's going to go on going forward.
3: Yeah, so we're also going to have a women's gold cup in twenty twenty four. Twelve teams, eight from CONCACAF, four from South America, and there's going to be a f- club competition. Four teams, two from CONMEBOL, two from CONCACAF. The details a bit murky on that, but they're hoping to have it in twenty twenty four as well. That's exciting, also.
2: Yeah, I mean, people have uh, you know, long talked about the possibility of uh, of. Um, you know, CONCACAF teams uh, playing in in, in uh, bowl and uh, Lib, Copa Lib, and that type of stuff. And having this interaction that we're seeing now from a national team perspective actually also happen on a club uh, perspective and in and a more formal setting. And again, this might just be the... Um you know, the first time that we see. And so they want to start it small and it might expand, who knows, going forward. But this is great to be able to possibly see, you know, CONCACAF teams, not possibly, to actually see CONCACAF teams against Cone teams that are from a club level and from a, uh, a national team level. This is great because, because again, as, as much as I love CONCACAF and as much as Victor Montaliani's responsibility is to all the 40-plus members of CONCACAF The disparity between the haves and the have-nots and the good and the bad and the quality and the lack of quality at times is dramatic. And, you know, you're you're wanting to help everybody and pull everybody up. But in the process, sometimes from a U.S.-specific perspective, and I guess from a, you know, you could put Canada and Mexico perspective, you're not helping yourself, and so the more opportunity we get to play against better teams, and let's be honest, there's only 10 teams in the Bowl, and a lot of them are some of you know are really good, and some of them are the best in the world. That's awesome, and it'll be great for the fans. It'll be great for the players.
3: You might recall in the 2016 Copa America Centenario. Argentina lost the final to Chile on penalties. Messi skied his attempt and then quit. Eden- <laughs> Quit the national team right afterwards, but decided to come back—a decision that I think has worked out. It's okay. worked
2: out okay. It's okay. I mean, you know, it's, sometimes in that in that moment, in that that heated moment, you say and you do things that uh, that you come to regret. So we should, uh, you know, we should recognize that the uh, the the, uh, the Bengals of Cincinnati should recognize that.
3: Yes, uh, three players that you would imagine would represent the U.S. in the 2024 Copa america Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams, and Brendan Aronson are now set to be teammates at club level with Leeds United. Uh, This is not official official yet, but it sounds like Weston McKinney is, in fact, headed to Leeds. Uh, The articles I've read, it sounds like Leeds are paying a 1.2 million euro loan fee to Juventus, Mm -hmm. and then they have an option to buy him permanently for 33 million euros. I don't think that's obligatory, so they'll have to make a decision on that at the end of the season, I guess. But I don't know. Once this becomes official, we'll know all the details more properly. Uh, You said in our previous podcast that you thought uh, Wesson was selling himself short. He's better than Leeds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leeds fans on Twitter, predictably, did not take too kindly to that. Wow, um, what a
2: bunch of uh, sensitive uh, folks over there at Leeds, huh? Wow. Uh,
3: now that it sounds like this is happening, do you want to double down on that take? Have you rethought it at all?
2: No, it does. It doesn't change, you know, the take. However, the structure of this deal. I think is is beneficial to to Weston. It's, it's a loan, it's short term. I'm sure that he will have outs relative to if there's if they are relegated, and so this can be a win for him to come in if he helps keep them up. Uh, obviously, if they exercise that uh, that option, it's a it's a wonderful fee, and if he enjoys it on and off the field, you know he can continue on or. I still think there's going to be suitors and probably more suitors come the summer and so this is kind of the best possible scenario but it doesn't change the fact that I think that Weston McKinney uh, is too is too good for Leeds and you know Leeds fans can scream and yell all they want but that's just the, that's just the reality who knows maybe Weston becomes the hero and uh, you know takes them to you know that uh, that promised land which is which is what is which is what is hopefully being set up here. Yeah, the people weren't happy about um, the people of Leeds because one, you know, sometimes we'll do this and it'll get out and it'll become viral and obviously the Leeds fans were upset, you know, they felt that I was being disrespectful. Oh, we actually, they, you know, they brought you into the whole situation too that we were being disrespectful from talking about Leeds like that. I know what Leeds is. I know what Leeds isn't. I know, you know, the incredible history. Actually, Leeds was one of the first teams that I ever heard about in my you know, 70s, 1970s, uh, 80s, um, suburban America uh, house. And, you know, if, if it was able to cut through that and still get to, to me, then it even at that point still had a, um, a global value and some, uh, and some credibility. But, you know, in today and coming to us on, in 2023, that's not what leads are. I recognize that there's a storied history and uh, a lot of uh, um, fans love that, uh, love that team. But, you know, you're, I think Weston's better. <laughs>
3: uh, breaking news. As we were taping, reports popped up on Twitter that Manchester City might be interested in Anthony Robinson. They just loaned Juan Cancelo to Bayern Munich. That would be quite the move.
2: Well, I think that that's commiserate with uh, the type of player that he is, you know? You know, Weston's taking a step down, going to Leeds, and Anthony Robson is taking a step up, going to uh, to Man City. But that's a proper club when you talk about Man City relative to
3: Leeds. We'll see if that actually happens. <laughs> We're taping this on Monday morning. The January window closes tomorrow. We have another podcast on Wednesday. I am planning on Wednesday to do a big uh, January window roundup. Yep, yep. Keeping an eye on this uh, Arsenal moises Caicedo story. Also Chelsea trying to sign... Enzo Fernandez for 120 million euros. My man Enzo, the winner of the James Rodriguez. Right. uh, Having a World Cup inflate your value award. Uh, Also, Nottingham Forest, suddenly a destination for Brazilian players. They're trying to sign Brenner from FC Cincinnati.
2: I mean, he had a good year. So (laughs) So, sell him now. Sell him now.
3: A lot of MLS players. Salty that Brenner is getting these kinds of offers and not Brandon Vasquez. They think it shows the bias in favor of Brazilian players and against Americans.
2: You know, the... the, 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 uh, the ownership out there, they, they want what they want. I mean, we just got done talking about the bias relative to you know, leads and them buying up American players. So it works, it works both ways. Although there's a long tradition and history of uh, Brazilian players being overvalued and therefore much more attractive to people either from a marketing perspective uh, or just, you know, they're sexier.
3: Also at Fox, believe me, there are way more qualified people than me to be doing this <laughs> podcast, but <laughs> being a Brazilian, I me, had some cachet. Well, in at least
2: me. you've announced and uh, accepted uh, your privilege, and yes. we, we recognize it now. We can go on. You check that box.
3: <laughs> so on Wednesday, we'll do a whole transfer the roundup. A pretty big move within MLS. Sean Johnson heads to Toronto leaves NYCFC where he was the 2021 MLS Cup MVP, also had a great season yep. last season, 14 shutouts. Uh, so Bob Bradley gets himself a veteran goalkeeper. Well, first off,
2: you know, the whole concept of free agency is something that the players over the years have had to fight for and claw back. And so just when when I see this, it does represent progress in that, you know, certainly Sean Johnson, uh, an MLS lifer, um, an incredible goalkeeper, and even at 33 years old, any team in the league would love to have Sean Johnson. That's how good he. That, that's how good he is. And so he should, given his service to the league and to the sport, have this opportunity. And he is utilizing that from a Toronto perspective. I think it's a great pickup. A great pickup. So you know, Bob Bradley up there. I think this is a an important big year for Bob Bradley and company at uh, at TFC. They got to get there. You know what? Together. And having a, a solid goalkeeper like Sean Johnson there, that certainly helps.
3: And then one last MLS-related note, and we'll talk more about this on Wednesday, but this week the Club World Cup gets on their way. The first game is on Wednesday. Egypt's Al-Ali faces New Zealand's Auckland City. The winner of that will then face the Seattle Sounders on Saturday. If Seattle were to win that game, they would take on a Spanish outfit called Real Madrid the following week. In these semifinals.
2: Oh, I cannot wait! And by the way, you can watch all the uh, Club World Cup action on FS2, right, Mossy? All right. So coming at you on FS2. I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, the the context and the and the storylines while we are watching Concacaf Champions League are always about the carrot of representing Concacaf in in the Club World Cup. Well. You know, for many years, there wasn't an MLS representative and got very, very close. And it just never it never happened. And we watched League MX teams for the most part time and time again represent our region. And now the Seattle Sounders, while they represent Major League Soccer, they represent CONCACAF. And that an MLS team is representing our region in this tournament. That's great. And that's and that's wonderful. So good luck to the uh, Seattle Sounders and Brian Schmetzer and company. I I know that they have been eyeing this and focusing on this as a wonderful way to kind of start off uh, their year. Although last year, <laughs> starting off their year with CONCACAF Champions League and winning it didn't do them any uh, any help when it came to the actual league. So hopefully this is a different type of scenario. And this is just, you know, they could be one and done, but hopefully they get that first game out and then we see that game against Real Madrid, which is really the pista resistance. That is it. All right. Let's take another quick uh, break, or our first quick uh, break of the uh, of the pod. When we come back, yeah, we'll take a dive and a recap from around Europe. Don't go anywhere.
4: All
2: right. Welcome back. Uh, hey, Mossy, did you see what happened in uh, in our break here? Everything's falling apart. Everything's falling apart. Our, our incredible set here, which by the way, uh, in a few weeks, we're actually going to have to transfer to a different set while this entire room gets made over. So we're upgrading big time here. But until that time, you see uh, the panhandle down there? Yeah. If you can see it here on uh, online. It's, it's not that we don't like Florida. It's not that we don't like the panhandle. As a matter of fact, I love Florida and I love the panhandle. But the actual panel has come out here. We had all sorts of people running around trying to fix it. We could not get it fixed. So if this is going to distract you as we continue on with the pod, um, I'm sorry. I apologize. But, you know, these things happen. We will we will power through, right?
3: Yeah, the great John Marcus attempted to fix it to no if avail. If he can't fix it,
2: then it can't be fixed, at least not right now. Okay. Uh, all right. So listen, all sorts of stuff going on over in Europe, um, including uh, the— uh, you know, the uh, the cup games and the cups uh, that continue on. So where do you want to... Oh, hey, Mossy, where do you want to start?
3: Uh, we're going to begin in England with the FA Cup fourth round. Actually going to do City-Arsenal first. Uh, let's take this in chronological order. Oh, okay, fine. All right. The all right. fourth round got underway on Friday. Manchester City, 1-0 winners over Arsenal at the Etihad. Nathan Ake with the only goal in the second half. A lot of discussion about whether this match would have any psychological impact on the Premier League title race. Had City demolished them, it might have, but that's not what happened at all. Arsenal actually played quite well in this game, despite the fact that City put out closer to a full-strength lineup. So City move on to the fifth round, but I think Arsenal come out of this still feeling pretty good about themselves.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, if, if that is the competition, and while it's relatively new competition to Man City, this is still the cream of the crop when it comes to Arsenal. And yes, we know that lineups are... Heavily rotated, especially for the elite super clubs, as both of these are. Even if they're facing each other, I just the amount of times where I hear coaches, players, fans, uh, pundits—I guess if you will—say, "Well, yeah, but does this really matter?" You know, and I know that there's a a, a lot of games, and you know, I always say what when when we talk about being on television, if if you don't if you don't look like you're having fun. If you don't look like that it matters, then why should the viewer? And too often now, I think we're finding moments where people say, eh, yeah, we lost a game, whatever. So I don't think that Arsenal cares a whole lot about, I don't think that Man City cares a whole lot about this this result. Now, others attach great significance and meaning to it.
3: The big one on Sunday, Wrexham involved in a 3-3 draw against championship side Sheffield United at the legendary race course ground. Wrexham Mm -hmm. surrendered an equalizer uh, in virtually the last kick of the game, Uh, so that tie will be decided in a replay, but uh, there's a bigger conversation going on regarding this club, which we're going to have right now. A little background. Sure. Wrexham are a Welsh club. They compete in the fifth tier of English football in 2020 Actors Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney became the owners of the club, a documentary series aired on FX, chronicling their arrival and the day-to-day inner workings of the club. That gave Wrexham notoriety in the United States. And ESPN looking to seize on that has really shined a light on their FA Cup games this season, putting them on with prominent announcers, sideline reporters, pregame, sports center segments, etc., in the meantime, ESPN and Fox, it must be said, have been criticized by MLS fans for not doing more to promote the league. And so MLS fans are salty that ESPN is giving Rexham all this attention. They say, why didn't you show that same love to MLS? This has become a big topic on Twitter the last few days. Pro-REL folks getting involved. I saw you mixing it up with uh, World Soccer Talks Krishnayer <laughs> over the weekend. Uh, <laughs> we haven't discussed it on the pod yet. So what say you about all this, Alexi?
2: Okay, so first things first. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Um, I have not watched uh, Welcome to Wrexham, which is the uh, companion piece, if you will, to Wrexham. And it is really where a lot of the marketing and the attention has been generated, especially when it comes to the global reach. Um, Two things can exist and coexist, and you can love them. I can appreciate and respect and enjoy watching Wrexham, which I did this weekend, watching them in the FA Cup and seeing that joy, seeing that type of environment and that type of uh, cup game. I can enjoy that and I can defend and enjoy Major League Soccer or USL or NWSL or anything that happens domestic, uh, domestically here. And I think there's a lot of people out there that can do that. I think where you get into some interesting territory is, and what I don't abide by, is when you use Wrexham or use the um, Wrexham situation as a way to promote uh, what you feel is the proper way to either own soccer or to structure soccer or to support soccer, to watch soccer, or to play soccer. Using the Wrexham situation, as a way to crap on domestic soccer, whether it's MLS or anything else, for the level of play or the structure of the soccer, there's, there's, no, there's no need to do that, especially because oftentimes many of the arguments are <laughs> incredibly hypocritical, okay? And so, you know, when you, uh, you, know, when, when you look at what... Wrexham have done and the way that they have cut through, it's great. It's wonderful. It's, it's incredibly smart um, and not surprising in the way that they are catering to um, either soccer people that are insecure and have this inferiority complex that want justification for liking soccer and want to be viewed, oftentimes from the outside, as genuine and as authentic and as historic in terms of uh, what they're doing, and there's a lot of people out there uh, that are like that so enjoy enjoy Wrexham, whether it's the actual team that you're watching or whether it's the, the the show that you are you are watching but understand that it's not as um, it's it's not there's a romance to it that I get, but the reality of what is happening in terms of you know these are rich, famous actors who who bought in to this league at a very you know two two point five million dollars or whatever it is, and they are using this as a vehicle to uh, increase the asset value of this uh of this property that they have. And yes, from a competitive perspective, that opportunity exists for them to go up and up and up. And how do they do that? They bring in a bunch of new players. They spend a lot of money. So when you scream and yell about, you know, competition and fairness and open systems and meritocracy, it's, it's not really what you, what you're screaming and uh, screaming and yelling about, but I love it. I love when a, when people in the United States we're talking about here Are into soccer, whether it's domestic soccer or whether it's a a small soccer team owned by a couple of uh, famous actors who uh, are using it to promote their their, uh, you know, their their asset and to uh, and to influence their asset in a wonderful, wonderful way and are putting out entertainment relative to this team that people obviously like. And this comes on the back of the Ted Lasso situation and all that. Look, people being into soccer for whatever reason. It's a good thing. I like that. I want that to happen. And we can have arguments and disagreements as to why they're doing it and the right and the wrong way, but there's no right or wrong way ultimately to like the game. If you like the game, like the game. Whatever that entree is into the game, that's a good thing. But when you then start talking about the game and other people have differing opinions or point out your BS or point out your hypocrisy when it comes to you know the way that you are extolling the virtues of uh of your uh of your fandom don't be surprised when that happens
3: my favorite episode of the documentary is the one where Rob and Ryan learn about hooliganism mm-hmm. because the Wrexham fans beat the shit of some innocent guy after a game and so uh, that Rob and Ryan take you through the whole history of hooliganism and and kind of you know become aware of that whole side of the game. I mean, I felt some real romance there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, but you 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 enjoyed the uh was 18 episodes or whatever? Yes. You you did no, enjoy no. it. No, no. I loved it actually. Okay, I thought it was good. excellent. What did you love about
3: it? Um, you know, my favorite of these Type documentaries have been the smaller clubs, Sunderland, Leeds, uh, Wrexham, as opposed to when they do Manchester City or Tottenham with those all or nothings, because I-, I do like going to these communities and learning about fans of these smaller clubs and seeing the the passion they have, and and so I-, I do find that quite endearing.
2: You find it endearing,
3: but that's what you really resent this notion that the United States lacks an authentic soccer culture.
2: Yeah, I mean, and that's when you know I was uh, I was going back and forth, and you know I just you know. Uh, you know, I I, I want to make sure that that I do this do this correctly and respectfully because you mentioned you know Kartnik, uh, Krishnire, and I've you know gone back and forth with him a while. He's worked a long time in soccer. Actually, I, I enjoy following him. He has some interesting takes. Lots of stuff that I disagree with, and um, you know, he's worked as I said in the lower levels of soccer uh, before. But you know, when and I'll read you his his uh, his tweet because you know a lot of people had strong reactions to it. He said, what so many MLS fans don't get is even if they are top, are the top league in the world in terms of the quality of soccer, the lack of authenticity, edginess, story building, community clubs, et cetera, will always undermine its potential. This sport is about so much more than what's on the field. All of that can be true to a certain extent. But what you are implying there, well, not, actually, you're not even implying it, you're saying it directly, is that American fans, American leagues, American teams uh, don't have that. Now, yes, there is a much smaller history when it comes to the game, but you can't hold that against anybody. But when it comes, you know, and I'll tell you exactly what I said. I said what you don't get to Kartik or anybody, who uh, Kartik or anybody else who says this, is how disrespectful and how sanctimonious that ultimately is to MLS fans. Because... And I'm just using MLS as an example, but it, it could apply to any other uh, you know, leagues or teams out there. You're only 27 years old, and there is plenty of authentic history and passion and stories and community and connection to the fan base out there. And to just completely throw it uh, out, and I get, you know, Kardec, along with lo- many others, they don't like the structure of Major League Soccer, and they want promotion relegation. They want to burn it all down, all right? And start with what they feel is true and authentic and real and genuine. I'm not going to have the Pro-rel conversation here. I've told you many, many times my thoughts on that. but just because you don't like the structure of something, I don't think should give you the right to disparage MLS fans. They are as educated, they are as passionate, uh, they are as involved and they have as much they have taken as much ownership in their team and directly and indirectly in their community relative to their team in their sport, as anybody around the world. And using the Wrexham situation to, you know, fuel the fire, or as something that you're going to point to as to why, you know, we're not further along, or things that happen, or more importantly, as a compare and contrast and coming up with the, you know, the ludicrous belief that somehow you, because you're not Wrexham or in a Wrexham type of situation and structure, you can't have that type of passion. I think that's, I think that's lame. And I, and I think that that's, uh, that's wrong. I like Kartik because he says interesting things and provocative things. I don't always, uh, as I said, agree with it. And yeah, I'll come to the defense of uh, MLS fans. And I know where I wear my heart on my sleeve. And plenty of people disagree with me. And that's, uh, that's fine too. In Germany... Hold on, wait, wait. uh, But but the actual game was an incredible game. It was a fun game to watch. You know, it wasn't as Hollywood as (laughs) the uh, you know the actor ownership would have scripted. Uh, Three.
3: Ryan Reynolds was at the game. He
2: was at the game, but it ended up being three three uh, at the end, and so that that Hollywood esque type of ending, which was there in the palm of their hand, and let's be honest, they pissed it away, even up a man. Uh, Wrexham wasn't able to hang hang on to it. Although they will get another game, and therefore they'll get some more uh, some more money. Keep in mind that the the, the promotion uh, part of Wrexham you have to finish first to automatically be promoted. And then the next six teams go into this tournament, and the the number one team of that gets in. So it's it's not assured that you're going to get it
3: promoted. They Are currently on top of they the are. national. So, you did your homework in preparation for this pod learning about the national league promotion <laughs> yeah. relegation. Uh... I
2: can't believe I did a deep dive into the freaking national league <laughs> <laughs> relative to promotion. But that you know, this is what it's all about is the promotion, uh, relegation. And and both you know, both of the uh, actor owners were, and this is this is so smart by them. And I don't begrudge them using their celebrity to bring attention to their assets here and bring attention to, uh, to their team. With that now comes higher, uh, higher expectations and you're hoping to go up the line, up the line. And how are you going to oh, go up that line? And how are you going to get up that pyramid and growth in this quote unquote uh, open type of system? You're going to spend more money.
3: There you go. Uh, can we move on to yes. Germany? Go ahead. Uh, in Germany, Bayern Munich, their third straight 1-1 draw since returning from the winter break. This one against Eintracht Frankfurt and all the teams below them, Union Berlin, Leipzig, Dortmund, Freiburg, all one. So the race is really tightened up. Bayern mm. Munich still on top, but they're only one point clear of Union Berlin, two points clear of Leipzig, three points clear of both Dortmund and Freiburg.
2: I feel about this time every year, we we have this dip and we have this moment, right? And you look at me and I look at you, and you say, "Well, is it really on? Or hey, could you know could this be a problem? Or you know could Bayern falter? Or, could this be the moment where we actually do have a title race?" And inevitably, you know, we'll hem and haw, and then we'll say, "Yeah, it's it's there, it's in the grasp," and then we get on in the next three months, the gap uh, happens again. So. Am I a sucker for believing that there is a title race here in this moment?
3: Again, without Lewandowski, Bayern don't feel as imperious to me as they have in past seasons. I still think they're going to win it, but I don't think it's the same degree of certainty. Speaking of Dortmund, two nil winners away to Leverkusen. A couple of notes here. Sebastian Holler started, which was great to see, completing his comeback from his illness. Uh, Giorena, Giorena did not play in this match. The latest chapter in the Reina Burhalter saga is that in the press conference leading up to this match, Dortmund boss Edin Terzic said that Gio is still not a hundred percent. He intimated that they're still kind of managing his minutes. A lot of Burhalter supporters seized on that. I saw Matt Doyle, Doug McIntyre firing off tweets about it. They think that this validates uh, Burhalter's approach to Gio at the World Cup, the so-called limited role. That- what was it? Do you
2: have the quote there? Uh, because I think that this is important and, and not, I don't think too much should be made of it. It's just, you know, it's a coach at a specific moment talking about a player who we know, Gio Reyna, has a long history of injury. I, I don't, I don't know when the last time Gio Reyna was even close. Well, nobody's ever a hundred percent. So I just, 90%, all right. Because the last time any player was a hundred percent, they were 10 years old. But so if 90%, is ready to go. When was the last time that he was 90%? I, I don't know. And this quote kind of confirms that he is constantly suffering injuries, recovering from injuries, or is injury prone and therefore not at the point that they need him to be.
3: Uh, here's a Terzic quote. Gio didn't have an easy face. He had to fight with injuries for almost one and a half years. He has scored the winning goal twice, is incredibly good in tight spaces and can make quick decisions. He's not at a hundred percent yet.
2: <laughs> okay. So I don't know when he's going to, like I said, I don't even know when he's going to be at a hundred percent, but you know, again, the whole brouhaha during the world cup about Gio Reyna, was he injured? Wasn't he, wasn't he injured? I think basically at this point the a blanket statement about Gio is that it, if he's walking, he's injured. Okay. Um, or he's not, uh, he's certainly not 100, uh, 100%. They didn't need him in this game to be, to be that super sub. They got the uh, win that they wanted. But, you know, I thought it was interesting to see how specifically they referenced over the last couple of years. And obviously that en- encompasses uh, the World Cup and what, he, and what he was. Oh, by the way, another coach who believes that Gio Reyna in his current capacity is not a starter and is a substitute. And yes, he uses him or decides in a certain point not to use him going forward. And I know it's it's not, it's not a little apples and oranges when it comes to Dortmund and the U.S. men's national team, but it does provide a little bit more context. But you know, if you're a or hater, it doesn't matter what I say or what anybody says out there.
3: My favorite tweet, and I wish I had it because I want to get the exact wording right, it was perfect. He said something like, the only way to interpret Gio not playing today is that Claudia Reyna must have messed with Evan Terzich's son at some point. Oh. <laughs> that's a reference to this. There is this conspiracy theory out there that right. Berhalter didn't play Gio uh, that much at the World Cup because he's still salty that uh, when Claudia Reina, as Austin FC sporting director chose not to retain Sebastian Berhalter. So that, that's been out there. That's been part of this story.
2: But isn't that a perfect distillation of what Gio Reyna's is going to be like on a consistent basis it is always going to be attached to him and again this is not this is not his fault there's you know he, he has he has taken responsibility and has responsibility for things that happened in the world cup but not the the crazy drama uh, relative to to his parents i i i'm assuming and yet it's always going to be a part of that story and there will be snickers and there will be um you know memes, and there will be people making jokes relative uh, to it. Is it is it fair? No, but again, welcome to life. Life isn't uh, life isn't always fair. And and again, it just it, you know we have turned you know because of this whole Gio Reyna, uh Reyna's and Berhal- Berhalter situation, we have turned what should have been just an incredibly optimistic and positive and exciting moment in soccer and U.S. men's history coming out of this World Cup and turning this corner to the 2026 World Cup and a moment of joy relative to the future of this team, including Gio Reyna and this incredible group. And we've turned it into a cynical and a toxic uh, and just a ho- horrible moment of national soccer, national mystery. So well done, us. All right, see what else?
3: In France, uh, PSG uh, hosted Hans this weekend. They were up 1-0 thanks to a goal by Neymar. And then last kick of the game, young Folarin Balogun scores an equalizer for Hans Balogun, you might recall, is uh, a young man who was born in the United States to Nigerian parents and then moved to England at an early age. He is eligible for all three countries. He has represented England and the US at youth level. It's unclear who he's gonna represent at senior level. A lot of US fans think he could be the missing piece because he is a center forward, a position of need. And he's an Arsenal player on loan and doing very well in the league on this season. And, you- and,
2: and, and first off, you know, just incredible touch, incredible skill, incredible speed, and you know, it's, this is a wonderful prospect. And again, the events, uh, you know, of uh, that that have happened over the last couple of weeks, with the loss of, well, obviously Greg Berholter no longer the coach for the foreseeable future, um, Ernie Stewart gone, and Brian McBride. You know, say what you will about, you know, what wh- wh- the successes and the and the uh, and the failures. One of the successes has been attracting dual nationals. In this case, tri nationals. I guess it would. Uh, I guess it would be. And so. Whoever comes in has to make sure they pick up, pick up the mantle and not let these players go by the wayside. If there is an opportunity and if they want to play for the U.S., you got to make sure that you're lobbying. you got to make sure that you are recruiting and living up to what Greg, Ernie, and Brian did. Because, again, th- from that perspective, they were incredibly successful.
3: Yeah, believe me, I know only too well Jim Harbaugh's NFL dalliances have murdered Michigan's recruiting. So I know how having unsettled leadership can affect your ability to acquire but no that's a good point i mean the u.s right now does not have a sporting director gm or manager so i don't know who would even be putting in a call to balligan at this point in time and
2: that's that's not good like time (laughs) is of the essence maybe who knows maybe he's like well they're not calling me and i'm not hearing anything and look there might be stuff going on behind the scenes but i know everybody's saying and we're going to talk a little bit later in the pod a a little bit more about the u.s uh you know situation but okay well look he, he he plays a position of need and obviously he's really really good at it and you know, scoring a goal like that. And he took it. It was right down the gut. Uh, you know, he, he had a wonderful first touch. It it slowed down nicely for him. He used the speed to create that distance and that separation. Then then it slowed down nicely for him to go around the goalkeeper and to still have the composure to finish it off. So it's got a lot of nice things that the U.S. certainly could use.
3: Uh, PSG, by the way, only a three-point lead over Lons at the top of the league on table. She, I hope they pull it out. <laughs> uh also in france uh lil lost 1-0 away to nice uh timothy way did start on the wing in this game uh mentioned there's only finally uh we're taping this on a monday the transfer window closes tomorrow there's been a- rumors about him potentially leaving but he gets a start this weekend at his preferred position so you wonder if that calms the waters there we'll see what happens with way in the next 24 hours or so uh in Spain, Barcelona, 1-0 winners away to Girona. Pedri scored uh, the only goal in his 100th uh, appearance. Uh, the bad news for Barcelona, Ousmane Dembele came off injured. He's going to be out several weeks. Uh, Real Madrid, uh, 0-0 draw at home against Real Sociedad. Real Madrid actually played quite well in this game. Vinicius was electric. They created a million chances. They just couldn't put one in. That means Barcelona now with a five-point lead atop the La Liga table. The other big news in Spain, the draw for the Copa del Rey semifinals took place. Real Madrid and Barcelona drawn against each other. The semifinals are two legs, so we're going to have two extra Clásicos on top of the La Liga game they're still going to play. So in a span of about a month here, we're going to have three El Clásicos, reminiscent of the spring of 2011, when they famously met four times in a span of like two weeks in the Copa del Rey final, La Liga, and the Champions League semis. That's considered the perhaps the high point of the rivalry from an intensity standpoint. You don't have the same personalities right now. You had Mourinho and Pep then, Messi, Ronaldo. But nevertheless, having them play three times in a short period will be interesting. Is it good? Yeah, yeah.
2: It's good. Absolutely. So Super League is bad, but watching Real Madrid and Barcelona play multiple times is good. Right? (laughs) I mean, come on, man. All right. All right, it's good. It is good. Everybody wants to watch it. Why do they want to watch it? Because they're two of the great teams playing against each other
3: on a consistent basis. If You could only watch one game, barcelona around Madrid or Wrexham against <laughs> some other <laughs> National League team. Um, finally, in Italy, uh, Napoli continued to roll. They beat Roma 2-1. Ossiman scored first. El-Sharaoui equalized. And then Giovanni Simeone with a late winner. Napoli now 13 points clear at the top of the Serie A table. So as we've talked about, this is done and dusted. They are going to win their first Scudetto since the Diego Maradona-inspired triumph back in 1990.
2: Yeah, I mean, now it's just a question of you know, where, where people are going to finish relative to uh, Champions League, including, obviously, the, um, you know, the, the deduction that has really, really put a problem uh, on Juventus going forward. Uh, yeah, so give it to Napoli now. Scudetto. That That is it. Okay, let's take another quick break. When we come back, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. All right. Welcome back. It's time for Ask Alexi, that point in the uh, pod when uh, we take your questions out there. And sometimes you send them on the the, uh, the platforms, the social media platforms out there. You can use that hashtag Ask Alexi. And again, our Twitter handle and all of our handles out there are SOTU with Alexi. Or you can call in, as some people did this week, uh, at 657-549-2297. That is our State of the Union podcast hotline, 657-549-2297 nine seven. Yeah, you can see it over here. Well you would be able to see it if, you know, we paid our electricity bill over here at Fox, but one of our panels is out as I mentioned previously in the pot. But that's okay. You can you can figure out. Again, six five seven five four nine two two nine seven.
3: What do we got uh, this week, Mossy? Uh, a couple of voicemails. Let's hear the first one right now.
4: Hi, Alexi and Mossy. Um, Jason here from St. Louis. Uh Alexi, really appreciate your uh your thoughts about, seemed unvarnished about the prospect, about uh, the new club that's kicking off here in St. Louis in two months. I know you are wowed by the um, stadium. Just want to uh, get your take on the prospects for the club this season. Number two, just read that Cindy Holmes said that the sporting – the timetable, she initially said this summer for both sporting director and uh, after Stuart's departure and new manager. But she just re- rephrased and said, let's start with the sporting director first, and then maybe by the Women's World Cup, the actual men's manager. My question to you is, I know you guys are talking about Bielsa and all these guys. Why not just – got nothing to do – For at least a year, maybe is it worth waiting even into 2024 just to see what vacancies um, arise? I'm almost tempted to wait wait out Pep Guardiola, who just re-upped with Man City. That's through 2025. I guess that would end in May 2025. But if you told me we were going to hire Guardiola, even though it's one year prior to the World Cup, I would take that in a heartbeat. Uh, He could, you know, I I would take him with only six months to go. Uh, Why not wait a year year and see what happens? Uh, Thanks so much.
2: Okay. Uh, Thank you, Jason, uh, from St. Louis. And just to reiterate, yeah, you you got a good thing going there when it comes to uh, St. Louis City uh, SC. I had a wonderful time out there in in St. Louis, and they walked me through the incredible downtown stadium and the – and the attached training facilities and offices and everything uh, over there. Uh, Ms. Kendall, uh, one of your owners, um, was nice enough to actually give me a, a personal tour and we went around with uh, Lutz Vanestal, uh, the uh, sporting director, and, uh, and Bradley Carnell, the, the head coach. And it's just an amazing thing that you have down there. So everything in terms of the packaging of this team is wonderful. The actual product within that package you know, that's up to the uh, you know the brains that uh, that are putting that soccer team on the field. And I think, as I said before, if you are even in the running for a playoff uh, position, I think that that will be considered a success. I think safe money is that you will not make the playoffs this year. You have not done anything. Even close to you know what an lFC did coming out of the gates or an Atlanta United, and it's probably by design i I get it i underst I understand that, and so I think the biggest star is going to be this this stadium, this facility, and this feel good moment of having a team and this will be kind of a a soft launch of the actual competitive team. And St. Louis likes winners like anybody else and will demand, uh, and there's wonderful history when it comes to soccer, will demand a better team. But I just don't see St. Louis competing at the levels uh, of others uh, starting in this, in this inaugural year. When it comes to the national team, and Massey, we've talked about this before, this, this concept of, of waiting, right? And on the surface, it sounds it sounds good. But we all know that a national team coach and a national team program, okay, has very limited opportunity to have players in camp. And so you're, as a coach, your opportunity to literally coach these players is incredibly limited. And you have to accept that and, and insert, to a certain extent embrace that. And so the more time that you take the less opportunities. We've already talked about Gold Cup that's coming this summer, Nations League that's coming this summer, some really interesting friendlies that are coming uh, later on this year. And so the farther you kick it, you know, that can down the road, yes you still keep yourself available and open to somebody coming along that, you know, in this case Jason feels like a, a pep or somebody else. Um, but there's there's the other part of me that says just Find somebody that you believe in, okay? Find somebody that you believe can take this team from now and build it into the best version of itself as opposed to a mercenary coming in late in the game, as talented as they may be. And so what you really have to decide is how good is this person that you are going to hire now relative to, insert your, your name, coming in and having a limited and very limited t- uh, amount of time to put their stamp on the team. Because, you know, while insert player or insert coach here, I don't know, let's put Jim Curtin or something like that. How, what is the difference between a Jim Curtin who, and I'm just using him as an example, has this team for the next three and a half years getting ready for the 26th World Cup and a Pep Guardiola who, ha- who comes in, let's say, the summer of 2025 and has, you know, a handful of games getting ready for the summer. How good is PEP that you'll even take that? And I know there's a lot of people saying, that, well, it's PEP, it's PEP, it's PEP. Well, it, it's it's not as simple. And I guarantee you, as much as PEP has an ego like like any of us out there, if PEP was sitting here, he would explain that the difference and is perceived as opposed to the reality between a PEP and a Jim Curtin, and I know there's people out there that are, their minds are exploding right now that I'm even putting Jim Curtin in the same sentence as a Pep Guardiola. Maybe even Jim Curtin's listening and said would say the same thing, but I do believe that it's the abilities and the difference between a Pep and a Jim Curtin are much smaller and much less than people and and many of us believe. And it you know it comes from you know where you play, where you're from, all that kind of stuff that that shapes and also at times warps the perception relative to what the reality ultimately is.
3: And by the way, there were reports the last few days that Bielsa is now a candidate for the US. Um, I didn't, to be honest, it's Telemundo, I think. I didn't see that with any of the people I trust, the Doug McIntyres of the world. So I'm Well, you know, you
2: stand for for Bielsa, so would that be a good thing for you? That would be great. Well, good for you, but is that a good thing for the national team? If you were making the decision, is Bielsa the right fit? Nobody's denying that he is an interesting uh, coach and potentially is, is really, really good. And then and, and at times can be really, really bad and comes with plenty of baggage. But is he the right coach for the U.S. men's national team at this particular moment?
3: I think he could be. I really? Would, yeah. But again, I'm, in, I'm inclined not to believe it oh, because okay. as we discussed, who right now is even would even be reaching out to him? I don't know. I guess Ernie Stewart is still there, but... <laughs> um but yeah, yeah i don't know
2: again the the lack of somebody actually being in charge right now that it doesn't preclude people in the federation from from reaching out and there are you know certainly leadership out there that that could do that but with nothing in place whose job specifically is to do that it makes it a little harder
3: incidentally the bielsa everton situation fell apart because bielsa told them that uh he wanted to install one of his assistants with the senior team, and he wanted to coach Everton's under-21 team for the rest of this season, which is the most Bielsa thing ever. It makes no sense, they're in a relegation battle. <laughs> I
2: would have kicked his ass out of the interview. I said, go go to the airport. I'll drive you to the airport. I mean, that's for, that's, It is Bielsa, but it's
5: such a dick move.
3: <laughs> uh, we have another voicemail.
5: Hey, Alexi and Mossy, this is Greg from Memphis, Tennessee. Just finished listening to the podcast, and I am calling in response to the other Greg from New York. Um, Sounds like a small man to play the role of a schmuck and complaining about your career and effect on the game he sounds like an unreflective man, <clears throat> um, to not appreciate, uh, what you've contributed to U.S. soccer because I am in my late fifties and I played soccer as a young man and I remember you as a player and I remember the state of U.S. soccer when you played and I remember the bias against U.S. players and the low expectations for our national team um, and the uh, fact that, well, first, it's it's shaky ground to compare players of the past to players of today because the game has changed so much, and it's especially uh, tenuous to um, compare defenders to attacking players but I can remember the bias against U.S. players uh and the fact that you were able to break into the European game. And I think, especially at that time, uh Italian soccer was rather closed. And I think you and Reina both were able to – or no, uh, Miola. Miola was the other player. Um And the fact that you were able to do that, I think is more of an accomplishment than Gio Reyna breaking into the German game uh, in this time. I appreciate your voice. I appreciate you being willing to take a stand. I appreciate that uh, in your role as uh, general manager, I think it was, for the LA Galaxy, and in your other roles, you're the type of individual that uh, does not seem to shy away from making decisions. And those people move the game forward and uh, make the game better. Um, so I would never boo you.
2: All right, all right. So he gets a little cut off there at the end, but you get the gist.
5: That was the Irishman
3: of phone calls. My God, I mean, we I appreciate it, but uh, producer Sean, we might have to institute a time limit for a future phone calls.
2: Oh my goodness. Well, first off, thank you uh, for the kind words, Greg. And you know, look. <laughs> um, as I've said time and time again, it it makes me incredibly proud that someone like Giorena has not had to go through the crap that my generation went through, or by the way, Giorena's father went through. Okay, um, and guess what? It was made easier for me by the previous generation, uh, generation two. I I would love to see how some of these players fared. And, you know, this is that past versus today type of thing, which is dangerous. But if they didn't have those pathways and didn't have those opportunities, would they still be able to rise to the top? Would they be able to hack it? Would they be able to find a pathway through that wilderness? And it was a wilderness uh, back then. And look, it doesn't mean that, that I or others weren't given opportunities and, uh, um, and benefits uh, along the way. Again, sometimes that the previous generation had established but yeah, I mean, the, the opportunities that Geo and others have, that's a good thing. That's progress. That's, uh, that's evolution. So, you know, thank you, Greg. We had a number of calls. I, I wasn't, we, you know, we didn't talk last week about, uh, about the boo thing other than it was an interesting and fun thing to talk about. It wasn't designed to elicit people calling in and defending me. I certainly appreciate it. I, I, I don't need it, whether it's i mean you're you're certainly welcome to to boo greg uh um or anybody else uh when it comes when it comes to to me out there, but it's you know it's very nice of you to uh, to say those uh, to say those nice things, but I think what you're doing is just confirming what i what i what I believe all along in that you know we've we've come a long way, baby, as this, as the saying goes, and I think it's important to recognize how far we've come but i'm not holding to account this generation for understanding and respecting and even knowing all of the crap that we we've been through to get there that's not that's not what evolution is to be quite honest with you it's it's that they grow and live and evolve in a much better type of situation than anything that came uh, that came before and i don't need i don't need their to be quite honest, I don't need their recognition or respect or anything like that. That's not what, the, that's not what this is about. So, uh, do we have anything else?
3: No. Let me say this to last week's caller, Greg, from New York. Mm-hmm. New York. I assume he's a Giants or Jets fan. <laughs> the Empire State Building lighting up in Eagles colors last night is the most embarrassing moment in the 400-year history of New York City. Wow. Whoever came up with that idea should be fired. Henry Hudson is turning over in his grave I cannot believe they did that I'm sure Greg wherever he is was outraged as well
2: well on that I think you guys can you can you can agree uh and so yeah I mean that was that was nuts I I mean when you hit send on that I guess there's a a point at some point you have to hit send on approving that is there nothing that goes hey this could be a problem (laughs) especially in New York Oh, my goodness. Hey, listen, I, I love the fact that people are calling in and that people are reacting either to things that we say or the things that uh, the uh, the callers say. I mean, it is designed to give you a voice. It is designed to give you an opportunity in a, in a different way uh, to be uh, a part of this show. And it's designed to get, you know, people talking and thinking and that Greg from last week uh, was able to talk about something. Even you know in in a provocative way or in a in a way that I might disagree with or that others can be critical with, you know that's a that's a good thing. And Greg this week um, choosing to to defend me, which was very very nice. I will say that, and this goes back to we we talked about last week where the, a. A, a reaction in a setting or in a crowd is very, very different than the reaction uh, individually. I think you're seeing some of that in terms of the the response here. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, producer Song uh, Sh- uh, Sean, I'm sure deleted a bunch of uh, even more heavy-handed and critical uh, and mean types of uh, messages that people that people left, but there were a bunch of good ones too. So, anything else, Masi? That's it. All right, let's take a quick break, and we come back. We'll finish up our show uh, with one for the road. All right. Welcome back Uh, It is the end of our show. And at the end of each and every one of our shows, I give you uh, my one for the the road. You know, last week we talked about um, my my kids and uh, I don't talk a whole lot about my family or my kids, um, but evidently people were interested in that. I'm not going to talk about my kids or my family on this one. I'm actually going to talk about something that is certainly near and and near and dear to me when it comes uh, to Major League Soccer. And look, I, uh, I love Major League Soccer, warts and all. I could be the first person to raise my hand and recognize that it is certainly not perfect on and off the field. But, you know, someone this week uh, sent me a tweet asking about the storylines and the story that is Major League Soccer and their worry and fear and criticism of Major League Soccer relative to what they feel is an inability to talk about the stories. And I think that there is some validity in that, in that criticism. Keep in mind that the platforms and the opportunities out there, because soccer is still not king and Major League Soccer is still not king when it comes to soccer even in the, in the United States, you have to bite and scratch Uh, for each and every opportunity to tell those stories. But, you know, this comes on the back of the storytelling that is Wrexham and what a wonderful job they have done in telling that story and therefore enhancing the brand. And that's what it is all about. And so a lot of people equating, well, why can't MLS tell these types of compelling stories on a continual basis? I I would argue that there has been plenty of storytelling over the years That you can't find it doesn't mean it's not there, but that in and of itself certainly is problematic. The greater story, as we get ready to kick off yet another uh, season of Major League Soccer, is that, and I mentioned 27 years, 27 years of MLS, and it's just come and gone like that. And yet when you look at this body of work, both on and off the field and what has been created, you can't help but even if you are the, the biggest anti MLSer out there, recognize what has happened. Uh, they have created the most successful professional soccer league in American and Canadian history. They have created decades of jobs uh, for men and women, obviously on the field from a playing perspective, but many more off the field in terms of working in the industry and this industry that has grown so much that never existed when I was, uh, when I was growing up and certainly before that. They have introduced new pathways that we've talked about when it comes to soccer. And yes, we can argue about the structure of those pathways, but it's undeniable that those pathways are leading to so many more opportunities for young players out there to star either locally, nationally, and internationally, going forward, that have not been in there there in the past. They have introduced this whole era of, you know, we talked about St. Louis in the, in the previous uh, segment of soccer-specific stadia out there, and how important those have met have been not just to the uh, the business of these uh, of these clubs, but to the communities themselves and the markets in which they were in, and how. They have become this mecca and this cathedral, if you will, for not just soccer people, but people that are into their community and into their uh, into their sport. They have birthed this generation of MLS supporters, groups, and all that that entails, both the good and the bad, but ultimately and in totality, an incredible good that see themselves through the lens of not just soccer, but oftentimes of their MLS team. And you could apply this to USL and you can certainly apply this to uh, uh, NWSL, but they see themselves through their league and through their team and all of their actions and the way they talk and the way they act and the way they dress, all of that is relative to that. And in terms of, from a business perspective, you know, we can talk about the appreciation of uh, these teams and what they were once worth and how in the beginning of uh, you know, of the aughts at the turn of the century, if you will, you could, bu- you could buy an MLS team for, I don't know, $5 million, even less at a certain point. Really should have done it back then. And now, you know, the going rate just for the actual expansion fee is over $300 uh, million. And MLS becoming a player in the transfer market. Each and every day we are talking about, you know, players. We've talked about them today that are either coming or going. Now, are they at the level of, of leagues around the world that, by the way, have had a 100-year head start? No, not yet. But the amount of uh, space that they have gained and the speed in which they have done that, that bodes well for the future. So, look, again, I know that this is la cosa nostra. This is our thing. And this is my my league. And so I wear that on my sleeve. And yes... I have played in the league. I have worked in the league. I have worked and continue to work for Fox here and previously ESPN, two major, major broadcasters when it comes uh, to the league. And so I have that direct connection. But this is something that will, will never go away. And it deserves defending. And so when you see me either sparring on Twitter with people or here on the pod or anywhere else, uh, even you know, <laughs> at, in the bar or wherever, talking about people and calling people out and making and them justify their stance, even though I find it ridiculous, uh, and in doing so, defending Major League Soccer. It's because I feel it's worth defending, and I feel that it has a place in the sports landscape, and it has had to, like I said before, you know, bite and scratch for that place, and grab a hold of it and it still has a long way to go and again it's not perfect and those that want to tear it down those that you know that feel that the most successful soccer league in history when it comes to the US and Canada isn't worthy of defending because of the structure that it employs which by the way has enabled it to be successful and to keep in business you know that that is something that I don't agree with, and that comes out in that uh, in that defense. And we are on the precipice here of yet another MLS season, and a very, very different, very, very different season, and an exciting season. Somebody asked me, you know, what are some of the um, the things to be looking forward to? And look, we're we're going to get much deeper into all the different things that are uh, that are happening when it comes to Major League Soccer. But just you know, Here here are five things that I think you should be looking for as we get ready for uh, for MLS. League's Cup break. The league has taken a month off to play this this new tournament. All the teams from Major League Soccer and all the teams from League MX are going to be involved. That in and of itself is incredible and unique, even unique around the world. And so I think that's going to be a talking point. Uh, the Apple deal, which we've talked about so much, and congratulations to now 31 new people, by the way, that have been... Uh, added to that broadcast team. It's it's a pretty big broadcast team, including our friend Keith Costigan. Um, the St. Louis intro, we talked about that earlier in the show. I just think that, you know, when you have an expansion team and what St. Louis has meant to soccer in the past with its history, that's going to be big. Uh, from a specific perspective, Atlanta United. Keep an eye on Atlanta United. This was the team that came in, big guns, won an MLS Cup, really did things and fundamentally changed things and then lost their way. And now with the addition of Garth Loggerway coming over from Seattle, and he does not suffer fools, and he is going to want to use that opportunity and power he has to bring this team back, can they rebound? And then the summer transfer window is always big, and as I mentioned, MLS being involved in that now to a degree that they haven't been in the past, that's always going to be fun. Anything before we go, Masi? That's it? Nothing. You didn't want to say anything about your friend Keith Costigan?
3: Yeah, I'll text them after the talk. <laughs> no, no, I'm very happy to hear no, that. it's love great.
2: It's so. great. And, and a lot of different people out there are getting uh, opportunities and broadcast opportunities. And it goes back to what we said. This ecosystem that we have developed, and I know people love to crap on it, um, but it has provided opportunities for for a lot of people and more and more people. And there might be somebody listening right now or watching right now that wants to work in soccer. And... When in the past it was well, I want to work in sports, and I'll use soccer as a stepping stone to get someplace else. There's a whole generation that's growing up right now that wants to be in soccer, that wants to work in soccer, either in front offices or broadcasting or or uh, or anything else out there. And there are more opportunities now.
3: And on the MLS point, uh, there's a pretty good article recently on ESPN, Kyle Bonagura, I believe, um, talking about how many MLS players were at the World Cup, how many different countries had an MLS player, and sort of positing the the notion that that MLS is now clearly a top 10 league in the world that it's hard to argue if you look at all the different metrics.
2: Yep. Well, it's uh, still got a long way to go, and you don't rest uh, on your laurels. And there's still plenty of things for us to, to critique and to criticize and for plenty of people that... You know, just don't like MLS for whatever reasons we've talked about them before. Uh, they will have plenty of fodder going forward. That doesn't uh, change. All right. This is our first part of the week. We will do another one uh, that will be out on Thursday. As Mossy mentioned, the close of the window and all sorts of things uh, that are happening. And who knows? given the nature of the uh, the american soccer wars with the z you never know what uh, what else uh, will happen here in the next uh, in the next few days but we will talk to you again at that point keep uh, reviewing and uh downloading and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things uh, that you do and again our state of the union podcast hotline is 657-549-2297. that's 6575492297 we will talk again later on in the week and until then and as always my friends size the yeah